Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, we're talking about a lot about packing motorcycles for short or long trips, um, tips from everybody getting pitched in, and we've got some other things in there as well. All that coming up next. But before we do that, I want to give a shout-out to some people who have supported the show incredibly this past month with a support of $50 or more. And I want to give them a shout-out to show our appreciation. Mitch Cooper... Craig Angus, Jeff Hahn, Michael McClure, and Jim Karmaniski. Thank you all so much. Now, if you'd like to get a shout-out here on Raw, we could definitely use your support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Now, this episode of Raw is brought to you by freshtracks.co.uk. Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s. They work with companies to motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises. They also have a space on their property near London in the UK for us motorcyclists to go and camp and explore. Check out freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. Now, here we go with ARR Raw for June 2020. <laughs> oh, right, okay, have a second. <laughs> Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic, <laughs> magic of the internet, I am joined by my esteemed regular Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Brian Ricks. In Australia, Brian. Oh, Brian and Shirley, of course, because you're side by side there. Oh, thank you, uh, everybody. <laughs> we're, we're wide awake and bushy tailed, and yeah, sitting here having a cup of tea, looking at the uh, winter sun. Been out for two rides on the bikes today already. It's beautiful, just beautiful. It's been chilly though, but not as cold as you folk get in the northern hemisphere, so we can't complain. Yeah, it's been minus one, minus two, something like that, Jim. But it's uh, not so bad, you know. You get on the bike, and as long as you don't. Uh, hit me black ice, it's okay. Mm, yes, that, that <laughs> is a minor detail. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, that is Grant Johnson from British Columbia. Grant, good evening. Good evening, everybody, or good morning, wherever you are, depending on what you're doing. Um, I'm just enjoying the uh, cold weather. It's raining and 12 degrees, and this is June. It's supposed to be summer. Yeah, and it's not. It's crazy. And not. you almost you almost yes. missed this. You almost missed the recording because you didn't remember. I completely, completely forgot about it. I was working on the 400 this afternoon, getting it ready to ride. It's tomorrow. It might start up. We'll see. Mm. Um, so I was focused on that. And then I came down. And I thought, yeah, I better do a quick, last quick check before I go to bed. Because nine o'clock is usually our bedtime because Susan gets up really early. And there's a little Skype message popped up. Raw in seven minutes. Oh, you know, I, blank, remember, blank. I remember being told a while back that there was something you had to be careful of that you, you lose, something to do with age. And it's the first thing you lose. I can't remember what it was now. No, I can't either. It's one of those, one of those things, you know. <laughs> Sam Anacom is in the UK. Sam, uh, good evening. Hello, everybody. What do you mean, good evening? Well, I suppose it is on your side of the pond. So on this side, it's um, it's a beautiful dawn. It's a beautiful dawn because it's hissing down with rain. And I'm saying that as a motorcyclist, but we've had 14 weeks of virtually nonstop sunshine. And I think the farmers and the gardeners are going to be very, very happy to see a dawn like this. So um, I'm smiling. It's raining. 
Sorry, guys. I know you've been stuck with it, but it's nice to see. Yes, I'm, I'm all ready for the sunshine, especially coming out of what we've all been going through for, for months now. Graham Field, we may as well bring Graham in as well in Bulgaria. Good morning. Yeah, beautiful sunny spring morning here. Good thing we haven't got smell, Jim. <laughs> you, mean, you mean for Graham? Yeah. 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 You, you may as well expand on that, Graham. You've got a sewage issue. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Adventure rider listeners, <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> my, uh, my sewage pipe is broken. It was made to my awareness by my neighbour who lives down the hill from me and his driveway was getting quite smelly. Anyway, long story short, I had to dig a big trench, found a broken pipe, but uh, ran a rod down it. About 15 metres down, it's a solid blockage. So... Um, you're there sweating like hell in the sun trying to unblock it. And what do you need after you've done it? A shower. And I can't have one. Uh, and, mm. and, and I can't use the toilet either. So um, this is the second day <laughs> after the show. I'm probably going to have to go to the supermarket or something. <laughs> you know, it must be life in Bulgaria. You manage to get these like fairly simple things that happen in life for people. And it turns into be a huge event for you. Well, it is a bit, yeah. You know, it's like we were watching something on Netflix last night and there was a, a couple who, who, they were outside in the forest and they'd made love in the forest and they're laying in each other's arms and the girl says to the guy, says, what are your thoughts? And I thought, ticks. Well, we're going we're gonna to start things off um, with, uh, with something that should be, should be quite fun. Um, advice to your younger traveling self in hindsight. So what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, imagine that you've been sent back to meet yourself early on in your travels and your sole purpose is, and, and your only purpose, the only thing you can do is give yourself three nuggets of wisdom of, uh, from what you've learned over the years in hindsight. So you're looking back, what would they be? And where would you meet yourself to do it? You've got the opportunity to meet yourself at a, at a, uh, at a great location. So, Graham, we're going to start with you. Oh, brilliant. Um, right. Well, it's, it's quite uh, a brief, this one, uh, but hopefully it's uh, no worse off for it. So, where I would choose to meet would be the 100 Club in London in May of 1976 at the Infinite Sex Pistols gig. That's where I'd want to meet myself. <laughs> and the 100 Club. Now, is that a swingers club or something? Nah, it was just a little grotty little uh, uh, club for, for up and coming bands and uh, a sweaty little place. And uh, uh, so, the, the, the Sex Pistols, I think they played three nights there over May. And it, it probably holds, I don't know, 500 people. And there's at least 20,000 on the planet who all swore they were there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> like Woodstock. if I could go back in time, I'd be there. And the three nuggets of wisdom I would tell myself would be. Don't wait for your friends to get ready. Just go by yourself. And the other thing I would say is do not be put off by what you read on the forums. And the third thing I would say to myself is everything is available everywhere eventually. Mm. In other words, don't worry about, oh, should I take this? Should I take that? You know, you'll get it. It can be got to you eventually. So don't fret over all the things you perhaps should take with you, spare parts and everything else. Uh, one of my favourite sayings is um, stop worrying about the potholes and celebrate the journey. And that just fits, doesn't it? Because we all spend too much time fretting over those potential possible somewhere and along the way, holes in the road. And yeah, no, have the dream. The, yeah. the, uh, we always forget. Sorry. Your turn, Jim. No, go. Cool. 
<laughs> I was just thinking, this is something that, that comes up so often. And, and I think that the thing to always remember is that you're on a road, and at the end of the road, doesn't matter which end, there's people, they live there, and guess what? They need clothes, they need a toothbrush, they need toothpaste, uh, they need toilet paper just like you do, and you can probably buy it there. And if it's a sizable town, they've probably got a sporting goods store and there's probably a motorcycle shop. And guess what? You can buy just about anything you need. And if you can't buy it there, there's a FedEx or UPS shop there. And exactly. it can be shipped in. Mm. You know, anything can be shipped virtually anywhere in the world within a couple of weeks. So at worst, you stop and sit back and relax and enjoy the people, do a little local touring, and take a tour or whatever. And it's okay. But you have to keep that in mind that time is not critical and you can't be on such a tight schedule that you that you run out of time and you can't enjoy the waiting. Yeah, I mean, and all, all, this, all this sort of thing. has something yeah. uh, will sort of come into play as well as we go forward with our, with our other topics today. But, but hang on, Grandma, I just want to ask, you, you said 1976, right? Yeah. You're 11 years old, were you? Oh, yeah, but I thought we could be anyway. Obviously, I didn't know this when I was 11, but oh. you said, what would you say to younger, younger self? Well, no, no, no. Hang on. You've got to go back and meet yourself somewhere. So, I mean, I, I'm thinking here, what, what were you doing on a motorcycle traveling at 11 years old? Like, I, I, well, I wasn't. I just thought I could have a fantasy meet somewhere. <laughs> oh, so you want to go meet you in a special time at a particular place to go to a concert that you never were at. Yeah, isn't that what you meant? <laughs> I'm sure. I, mean, I, I just, I just have this wonderful image of Graham sneaking in through the back door and jumping up and down in the corner with a big grin on his face. Oh yeah! Well, don't forget there'd be two there. There'd be, there'd be older Graham and younger Graham. I wonder what, what, what that would be like. You know, seeing yourself. Ooh. What would you tell your older self too? <laughs> Yeah, yes. you, you, you should calm it down, mate. <laughs> You're looking a bit lived in. <laughs> How about you, Sam? Um, I think the first one has to be say yes more often as opportunities occur. Uh, we spend too much time dashing to go from one place to the next um, instead of um, taking the time out to think, oh, that looks interesting. Let's go and have a look at that. Um Recognize fear as being something that's actually your friend. Um, I always think of fear as being a warning that something's about to, to stretch and excite. Um, it's not only don't touch this, it's hot. It's, um, it's a sensation that all of you, 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 you're just awake and you're alive and something special is about to happen. Um, so, yeah, recognize fear as being something that's actually your friend. Um, and the third one, stop more often. The reason you're traveling is everywhere you are. Now, these things, these are things you tell yourself. So, so sort of things that you mm -hmm. think would have improved on your own trip. Absolutely. And I would, where would I meet myself to do it? In my bedroom the night before setting off, because that'd be a perfect time to remind myself of all of those things and how important they are. Mm, or you'd be practical. like the ghost of venture travel past. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a Christmas special we could do. Brian and, and Shirley, um, do you guys have separate ones or are you going to do it together? Yeah, probably. Yeah, we do. Oh, okay, Shirley first. Um, now, I would want to meet myself in March 2003, just before we left on our first trip. 
Uh, and I think I probably tell myself to stop worrying, mm-hmm. to stop over planning, and to just learn how to plait my hair so I don't spend the next year <laughs> trying to brush the knot out of the back of it. <laughs> now, that's something that Graham and Sam might understand if you yep. let your hair yeah. like the breeze, it can take a long time to get it out the knots out of it. So, Is that what you're worried about? Oh, Is yes, that- well. <laughs> Shirley, Shirley, didn't you teach Brian to plait your hair, for goodness sake? Oh, my God. He's seriously saying something like that. So. <laughs> well, I mean, the only thing is you would have had an unusual type of conditioner in, wouldn't you? It probably would have been dark and oily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wasting good engine oil on that. <laughs> have you guys not found a good way to deal with your hair sticking out of the helmet? Oh, well, I've cut. Yeah, that's okay. The cutting it, so that's a little extreme, but um, Graham, you wouldn't cut yours. <laughs> this and Graham's hair products. I had my, I had my beard plaited shut. Let's not go there because that wasn't attractive either. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any photographs okay. of this, Shirley? I actually do. We've had a ribbon in it. Oh, God. What? <laughs> oh, you got She was it. lovely. Anyway, you go and do you. Well, well, my, look, my, my thing is. And Sam touched on it too. Slow down. Just slow down. This is advice to me as a younger fellow uh, about to start travelling. Don't stress. You know, smile and don't stress. And something we'll probably touch on later is whatever you're packing for a week is good enough for a year. Mm. Simple. And I think uh, and, and everything else just falls into place. You smile at everyone. You end up de-stressing. You slow down. You're taking in uh, more of the sights. You're basically smelling the flowers and enjoying life. That and actually, isn't that what it's all about? That actually sounds like Brian's advice to me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Grant, how about you? Yeah. Well, I've already said one of them. Um, you can get it out there. You know, just don't take so much crap. I mean, it's it, the amount of stuff. I took was ridiculous, and the amount of stuff that everybody else takes is ridiculous. Anybody going to disagree with that? We all took too much, right? So there yes. you go. Um, and don't overplan or overprepare. I spent way too much time and effort making sure the bike was perfect. And Lordy, it, it didn't have any problems. It worked really well. We didn't have any grief with it and stuff, but oh my goodness, maybe a breakdown or two along the way would have been a good thing. Um, and just over planning, making sure you've actually got um, enough information on where you're going. But, you know, guess what? You arrive at a border and even if you know nothing about it, you'll figure it out. And yeah. we did. We, on our trip, we headed off in 86, 87, 87, yeah, 87. And we tried to get information from all the Canadian embassies for the different countries we were going to. We wrote to like 50 embassies. And we got absolutely zero response. So when we arrived at a border, we knew nothing. I mean, I had never crossed any border more complicated than the U.S. border in previous history. Um, I'd flown to Hong Kong once. That was it. But that was no big deal. Um, So crossing the Mexican border, oh, this is interesting. What do we do? What what do you mean we have to shore? What? Huh? What are you talking about? And they just led us around and pointed us and said, do this and fill in this and sign this and show me this, and yep, no problem. Egypt was the other end. It was six hours, and they still 
showed you around and pointed you and said, over there, you figure it out. You're in the wrong place. They'll say, go over there. Don't worry about it. You will figure it out. And that was the biggest thing we stressed about was, do we know enough? Uh, how do we find out more information? Um, it's okay. I, I think that's the sort of point I made about forums is eventually they become debilitating because there is so yeah. much contradictory information. And you can see photographs of custom borders and and your aerial views and pointing at this shed first. That shed. When the photo was taken, probably, but the system constantly changes. Oh. And I think like, it's like going into a town that you knew so well and now the, ro- the whole road system has changed. It's worse thinking you know something and not than just going into it and, yeah. and letting yourself be led. Yeah. yeah. Well, the nice exactly. thing I've always found is that they won't let you go wrong. They won't let you out until you've done it all. Okay. Yeah. Where's the problem? You'll figure it out one way or another. I'm not sure I agree with you on that, Grant. Yeah. You can, yeah. Some countries end up letting you in or encouraging you in without the right paperwork. The United States being one of them. So many examples of that. <laughs> um, but what do you mean? But um, uh, oh, I mean Elaborate. a lot of people coming in from um, C- um, Central America, um, Mexico, and then uh, trying to get into the United States. And no, 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 no. You don't need any paperwork for your mic at all. Uh, you've got a visa. That's fine. Stamp your passport. Off you go. Um, yeah, but no, I'm sure I need something for my motorcycle. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to get it out at the other end. No, no, you don't need anything. And there are um, quite a lot of stories out there. Um, from people and from personal friends um, who have had this sort of problem and, um, yeah, had to dig their heels in. Um, quite a few people have ended up having to go to Canada because they can get out over land without the right paperwork for their bikes, but they can't get out with a ship or by, by air. Yeah, mm. shipping out is a, is a different story for sure. Yeah, I wonder if that's where the confusion is. I mean, I wonder if the, the border crossing knows that you don't need it to go by land to Canada and that's what they're thinking. Maybe that's as, as much as they know. Yeah, I've got to agree with Sam. We had a problem with uh, some paperwork being taken taken office at one border uh, that we didn't realise had happened. And when we went to cross another border, we didn't have that piece of paperwork. But again, um, taking on what Grant said, we sorted it out. And they helped us, the Russians helped us sort it out. But yeah. the, you've got to have a little bit of knowledge to know what you've got to have, I think, when you're crossing the borders. So I take Sam's point too. Sure. I, I don't disagree completely, I think. But your your last comment there was, you'll sort it out, is the important Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, true. true. And I know that a lot of people have said, after they come back from a big trip, is that they learned on the trip just how much they're capable of. Yeah. They had no idea that they could figure this stuff out and solve it. And they end up so much more confident because they know that virtually no matter what the situation, they'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, the point is, you, you, you can't know everything before you go. So no. why try and learn? Learn the basics and head off and enjoy. Let things happen to you. Discover. And one of the things, you know, we're always talking about border crossings. People get so worried about them. Oh, yeah. But, okay, so it takes you a whole day to get through a border. So what? It yep. really doesn't matter. Are you, are you in a hurry? Um, well, no, not if you've arrived first thing in the morning and you've got the whole day to play with. If you've arrived at the end of the day, well, you've put yourself under pressure. Why would you want to do that? Enjoy the experience. It's fun. I bet every single one of us have gone through loads of borders that, yeah, they're fine. 
they're entertaining. They're interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always fret. I mean, I don't sleep well the night before because I'm always going to be up early to be at the border first thing. I do fret about it. Um, I do worry about it. And most of the time, it's a breeze. Way easier than you'd heard, than you thought. And um, But I always, always arrive at a big border at the morning and, uh, because I don't want to get there at 10 o'clock at night. And um, the only time that changed... I was crossing, leaving the Shenzhen zone and crossing into Romania in my van with a motorcycle in the back. Everything was legit. I had all the ownership papers and it was two o'clock in the morning because I was hell bent to get back home to Bulgaria. And I never want to cross a border at 2 a.m. And there was this, uh, there were about three guys standing around. Two of them were quite decorated, um, you know, officials. And there was a younger boy and they were all smoking. And I pulled up and the, I wound it as a, uh, a right-hand drive vehicle they're expecting me to be on the left-hand side of it so he comes around my window and uh, i think what was happening was he was talking to the big bosses and he was loving smoking cigarettes and hanging with the big bosses so all he wanted to do was just a token check and he didn't even want to open back doors didn't want to look in the back man just wanted to get rid of me so he could just sit there and hang with the big bosses again so it was <laughs> the absolute opposite to what i anticipated <laughs> your guardian angel's a good one eh graham yeah. <laughs> Not for a sewage pipe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you yeah, guys. The halo got stuck down there. <laughs> did, we, did we go through everybody where everybody would like to start their journey as a young kid? Just, uh, Graham got his in. Did you get yours in, Sam? Yeah, I did. In my bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just bedroom. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I forgot mine. Yeah. Mine would be starting at an iconic place, and which is what we did on our first trip the Isle of Man. Isle of Man TT. Yeah. What a great place to start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, I'll go for that. I was also thinking of the, the day I bought my R80 GS. Smacked me about the head a little bit. and Smarten up. Don't get carried away. Just get on it and go. That would have been good. Except that it was bent and crunched and needed a little bit of work to make it rideable. But that's beside the point. Yeah, but it fell off the back of a truck. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one thing you could say, though, I was thinking when you were saying about how much you prepared, Grant, and then your then your bike didn't break down. Well, somebody could argue with it. Well, see, there you go. You're right. You you got prepared. You you did your True. bike over, you know, meticulously, and no problem. Yeah. But I keep hearing about all these adventures that people have when their bike breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't get any of those. Right. Yeah, right. They are overrated, those ones. <laughs> so everybody look at your list that you've got there. And, and I'm just sort of curious because when I'm, when I'm listening to you read through your, your list of, of um, the things that you would tell yourself, are there any things in that list that sort of made you a, a more experienced traveler, added to your um, the development of who you are now um, by traveling the way that you did, learning those lessons on the road? In other words, by taking that, your own advice right now, if you were able to go back, would you be taking something away from your experience? Well, I haven't even listened to myself now, Jim. I still over I still worry too much and I'm still tend to overplan. So it wouldn't make any difference to me. Yeah, and I've got earplugs and I've slowed down. I don't listen to Cheryl and I just um, – I have, no, no, seriously, I've, I've uh, slowed down a lot. I don't pack as much. Um, I went around Australia with some mates and, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just chuck this and chuck that in. Away I went. No problem. No problem. Uh, Anyone else? Uh, you know, is there something there that would uh, – I think, you know, I, I am I am probably – I'm definitely cynical about forums and I don't uh, – 
tend to go on them anymore. Um, the, I like I like the instant sort of Facebook stuff, but I, I just find you know when I when I before I went off on Mongolia, I'm a total novice and very inexperienced, and I would read like medical kits, what you should take, and I downloaded this huge printout of all these drugs and things I should take. Gave it to my mate who was a doctor and said, can you get me these? He said, well, I can, but you know, you're probably not going to get Japanese encephalitis. And if you are, <laughs> you probably shouldn't self-treat. <laughs> so um, again, it's, it just gets daunting, I think, to to do all that. And, and that was 10 years ago now, almost to the day when I left uh, from Mongolia. And I've still got that medical kit. It's in the, in the medical drawer. And he even wrote down the names of the drugs, what they're for, and, and how much you take. And I've still got this scabby little printout of uh, what I should take. And the only thing I ever use is the ibuprofen because they're 600 milligrams and they they fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. I had an email yesterday from um, a, a young guy who's planning to go around the world and he's he's really at the, the dreaming and drooling stage. And um, he sent me a, a map of the world and he's traced his route on there and he's picked out some wonderful places to go. And he said... But I would really, really like to talk to a couple of people who have ridden around the world. And I said to him, well, why? Um, and he said, because there's so much stuff out there, I'm getting totally confused. And I said, well, just go to Horizons Unlimited because you're going to find really genuine people there who have traveled and who know the the, the lack of value of BS. And um, so I hope that's where he goes, and I hope he comes away from hours of endless entertainment and information that matters. Mm. Yeah, it's good advice because it's very different when you're face-to-face and you're seeing the people. Very different to forums, I think. You can gauge what you're hearing. And, uh, and I, uh, yes, yeah, certainly a better, of, better place for accurate information than the keyboard warrior anti-everything. Well, don't forget, I think what Sam's saying, too, is that the HU forum is quite different from the average forum because it's very, very focused on travel, more or less international, but also local travel. But it's more focused on travel. And there was a discussion recently that somebody was saying, you know, everybody here on these forums is all too old. And then one young guy, he's 26, popped in and he said, you know, that's why I'm here. Because of the <laughs> wealth of information you guys know. And I know nothing, and I'm here to just soak it up. And he's loving it. And he's twenty. Right. Okay, so there there is information there. I mean, you will find some contradictory information because not everybody's going to agree, and everybody's coming at things from a different angle, a different point of view. Uh, I encourage people to say, "Okay, what country are you from?" and tell us something about how how much travel you've done, or something when you're making a comment. Are you an experienced traveler, or are you a newbie passing off the one thing you know so far? You know, it makes a big difference. So you, you have to take everything with a grain of salt because it doesn't necessarily apply to you. But a lot of it does. And you also get some different opinions and you'll find, you know, I like what he's saying and that doesn't make sense to me or that doesn't work for me. Uh, like when we did the Achievable Dream DVD series, we made a point of having differing opinions. We have Austin Vince saying, coveralls that's the way to go you've got to have coveralls <laughs> and i'm saying are you crazy but it's a video you know i totally disagree with them um and no no body armor are you crazy what about when you fall down um so we have different opinions but take what works for you and leave the rest and that's fine but the, the ideas and thoughts are there 
And I think that's the important thing is to kind of soak up a bunch of information and then pick what works and just go. I mean, that's one of the beauties of, of people, isn't it? Motorcycling sure. overlanders, we're all individuals and we all pick up the little bits and pieces of information that sit well with us. And it's not always the right information for us, but we learn that. And well, hey, isn't that one of the reasons that we're going traveling to learn? One of the things that I like about Horizon Sites is you very rarely ever see anybody slap down for asking a question. And sometimes yeah. the question, and you might think to yourself, why are you asking that? That's a really dumb question that's been answered a million times before. But then you think, yeah, but not to this person. And I'm a, I'm a really firm believer that the only stupid question is the question that a person doesn't ask. Yeah. Yep. You've got to ask questions. You've got to read. You've got to absorb and figure out what works for you. Mm. The only thing that I'm going to qualify that, though, with is a little bit of research. Oh, yeah. A little bit helps. But think about us back in 87. No border information, no country information. We had a map. I think I had a map of South America and a map of Central America, and that was it. And guess what? We survived. We made it. We figured it out. No GPS. But there, there's a road. I mean, you can ask people. You can talk to people. And it just, just, just do it. That's the main thing. Don't be so afraid that you don't know because you would leave in your own country. You would go for a day ride or maybe a two-day ride, and not know the area you're in. But would you be afraid of it? No. You, you, you'll find your way around. You'll make it. And what Graham was saying earlier on about um, um, forums and so on is sometimes there's there's so much um, fear factor in the stuff that's being said. You can roll into one of the most beautiful countries and be scared witless about something that just has a vague chance of happening. Mm -hmm. I think I need to, to clarify here. When I say the forums, I'm talking about specific forums, not like uh, Horizons <laughs> Unlimited. I'm not, I'm not backpedaling here, but my, this is, but I'm thinking, okay, why did I say this? For example, I wanted to find out about um, getting Mexican uh, insurance at the border and pay, paying that, you sort of, what is it? It's like a carne, but you just pay a little, uh, it's a similar to a carne, but it's a spe specific for Mexico. So I went on, uh, put that in a Google search and came to a forum of, don't go to Mexico, you know, you'll, you'll be burned and your bike will be stolen and that. And like, all I wanted to know were the opening times at the borders and can I buy my carne there? A little bit, the same to degree with a specific bike. You know, should I do this upgrade? Oh, you shouldn't only do that upgrade. You should do this upgrade. Yeah. You shouldn't even take that bike. You shouldn't even go. And and that is the stuff that just is debilitating. Put you off. I'm not, I'm not grouping in like ADV rider and and uh, and horizons. I mean the specific forums with the specific keyboard warriors who haven't actually been there. They're the forums that debilitate. They're the ones that don't help. Yes, yes. There are and there are lots of those, and there are lots of people who've never been there, but they've heard how dangerous it is. So don't go. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and all it takes is a bad experience for somebody to, uh, and then they've got a real story they're telling. But um, it, it may not be the the experience that most people are having, and, and it's not any no. less real. I mean, if somebody goes to Mexico and has a bad experience, that's a real experience. That's that's a that's real feedback, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the norm or or vice versa. Yeah. 
And far too often, it's a friend of a friend of a friend mm. had this experience. Well, all those stories. This is it. My sister's Naisman's milkman's son. Yeah. You know, I knew someone from yeah. college. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Or they hear a story. And, and these stories, I mean, you know, we're all bad for this. Humans, we tell these stories, we regurgitate these stories that we've heard over the years. And, and it can be the same story you've heard in several different versions of, you know, as it gets passed along. Yep. It, uh, there was only one incident, but 27 stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, though, to go through this and, and have you guys give this list, because I think it'll probably help some people who are having their own thoughts exactly the same, you know, and, and, and packing up or thinking about going on a trip maybe for 2021 or something like that. And I think listening to experienced travelers say, hey, these are the things that I go and tell myself to do or not to do at the start. I, I think that can be very helpful, the, the list that you guys have given. Good. At this point... Lots of people are going to rewind back to the beginning of this conversation, listen to those points, whatever again. Mm, I hope so. Yes. <laughs> now, rewind. Um, what did we say? Rewind. <laughs> you know, rewind. You can't do it with an eight track, but cassettes were great for that. Yep. <laughs> and so now we have a question from Kevin Ferder. Kevin, uh, Kevin's one of our patron supporters, actually, which is, is great. Um, thank you for that, Kevin. Now, he's got a he's got a huge long question here. I, I am going to paraphrase some of it and, and read through some of it. And, and what I'll do is I'll take it. I'll read the whole thing and then, then we'll we'll sort of break it down. He says um, he's been trying to trying to figure out how to answer or how to ask this question. The topic is around packing, which we sort of got into a little bit there. He's listened to multiple presentations and he, he sat in on uh, a course at the Overland Expo East, but he's still not confident um, that he understands how people pack their motorcycles. He sees mounds of stuff and uh, no idea how, to, how it all fits in. He says he's been fortunate that he's either been on trips where he didn't want to camp, so he didn't have to carry any camping gear, or, or the, um, that uh, they did camp, but they would stay somewhere or they go locally for food in the places they're at. So no kitchen gear, always two to three day trips. Never felt like he could figure it out, he says. Um, he thinks that if, he, if it's any more time than that, um, in his words, well, he's, he's screwed. Or uh, right, I'm screwed, is his words, actually. So he said he'd really like to know how the co-hosts pack for extended trips, how much space they use to pack all that stuff in, what are the variations. And uh, he mentions clearly there's certain parts of the world where you don't camp because the cost of hotels are so uh, so low. And of course, that's his next question is, uh, gets into the cost, how, how you find uh, inexpensive hotels that are still manageable. Now, he does ask for specifics in this question. Let's not get into specifics. That's going to obviously, I think we all understand that right off the bat. It's going to take way too much, but maybe some helpful tips about how you pack the way you pack and, and how much you pack. He, he says details on what rather than generalizations, but details and uh, through a conversation like this with all these people who tend to talk a lot, I think will take forever. Right at the start. What, you, yeah, do you have a yeah. guilty conscience? <laughs> I have a guilty conscience. I also have a commitment that I'm going to have to bail. Mm. So can I um, go first? Yeah, we'd love to have you first. Yeah. I'm packing. Thank you. You may not want to have me first, but you're going to anyway. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) The best advice, you know, you've got to pack a little bit of everything, not too much of anything. Always think small and compact, not big and bulky. But for us, packing is always a work in progress. You start off with too much, you pair it back and you think, yeah, this will be right, and then it's still too much. We've been halfway through a trip and posted home our top box and replaced it with a, a gear sack because a, a top box weighed 10 kilos before we ever put anything in it. And we thought, okay, well, that's one way of 
alleviating some weight. Yet we'd done our first one-year trip and we were about a year into our second trip before we worked that out. Mm. So, you know, you might set off on a journey one way. Uh, You can always post stuff home. And as Grant said before, if you need something, you can either buy it there or have someone buy it for you elsewhere and send it in to you. So it's really not a dark art packing. It's just a flexible art. Now, now Cheryl, while, you, while you're still here, um, because he did mention in this that he was curious about even the, the people who are traveling two up, he's in, interested in how you pack, because you've got even less space packing we two do, up yeah. on the bike than what a person is. And it's kind of ironic if you think about it, isn't it? That you guys go around the world with one motorcycle, um, with your panniers, and you see a lot of people who are traveling by themselves and they have the same issue. They can't fit it all in. So it does say something about the mindset of packing. But but um, what do you, how do you fit all your stuff in one pannier? Well, I have the bigger pannier for starters, which makes <laughs> my life a lot easier than Brian's. And um, it gets to the point that you put stuff in and if it doesn't fit, well, then you can't take it with you. Um, and you do just have to be really sparing about it and things that pack down. And And uh, we did actually a list in our first book of what we took, which is kind of um, a bit silly now because probably half of it got posted home and replaced with other things. But you always t- we always take something for cold weather and something for hot weather, things that you can layer things that wash and wear so you're not always trying to dry. I mean, jeans are fantastic, but if you ever want to wash them, you're in trouble because it'll take you a week to get them dry. Um, And we put heavy stuff on the bottom, which is why my pannier always has the bloody tyre pliers in the bottom of it, and uh, and light stuff on the top. And that's one of the reasons we sent the top box home because it was too heavy, but we could put a gear sack on that which, which carried a lot of stuff and it wasn't as high as having it on a top box. Um, so, yeah, that's – two-up is always a problem. Camping is a problem for us. We can carry um, the tent and we can carry two sleeping bags and two mats, but when it comes to cooking gear, we're very limited. You know, we know couples who travel on two bikes and one of them will have a kitchen, one pannier will just be their kitchen. Uh, Carol Duval, if you want to talk to anyone about packing for two-up, Carol Duval um, of Ken and Carol fame, Life on a Bike, she is amazing. She should hold masterclasses in packing. But she's got little bags for everything and all those little bags fit into little slots and, uh, you know, it's just years of experience with them. I'm sure when they set off, uh, she wasn't as accomplished a packer as she as she is now. But two ups difficult, but you just learn to live without things. Well, also, I've modified the bike to take our camping gear. And when Sean talks about the gear sack, what we actually did is I made a plate, got rid of the top box and had an aluminium plate and put a soft bag on it. And that carried all our camping gear. And on top of the panniers, I had soft um, bags, uh, canvas bags, which tie on the top. And that carried our camping gear, uh, a stove, some emergency food. You don't have to take a week's supply of food. All you need is a couple of, couple of days. And um, uh, our change of cl- uh, uh, gloves, wet weathers and things like that, all that went into soft stuff. And the comb- combination, I think, of hard panniers and soft luggage on top is a really good one because you can um, secure things in the hard luggage very easily, um, but you're, le- you're lessening your weight by getting rid of the top box and also making the centre of gravity lower as well on the bike. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, sure, sure, sort of brushed over um, packing, but you know, what I and I said it before, what I packed for a week, I'd take for a year. And, you know, that's three or four. I think we took um, seven pairs of um, underwear and socks and things like that on our first year. But we've narrowed that down to probably four or five now. Um, short sleeve shirts, long sleeve shirts. T shirts look great and they're fantastic uh, to wear on a bike. But if you want to go into somewhere where you need a collar or you want to go out somewhere nice for a dinner or something like that, or you're staying at someone's house and they all dress up. Why not take a, a collared um, short sleeve shirt? Um, same effect as a um, T-shirt, but a little more dressy. And it's you know, just something that I, I, I do um, rather than taking um, T-shirts all the time. Uh, things like that, those cargo pants, those ones that cut off, they're brilliant. So you can wear them shorts or long pants and lightweight. And if you, if, um, if you get cold, use thermals. So you've got thermal gear that you can wear under your bike gear also, you can wear it under your um, your pants when you're um, going somewhere which is a bit cold, say up Mount um, Nemeradagi or something like that, surely, something like that. So, and a polar, I bought a really good polar fleece for our first trip in 2002, three, and I've still got the damn thing, and it's still warm, and it's fantastic because it's got pockets on the inside, pockets on the outside, zipped up pockets. You know, buy stuff that's Really, really usable and long and hard wearing. That's the best advice I can give. I don't know about the rest of you. Just before you go to the rest of you, goodbye, everyone. Okay. <laughs> Take care, Shirley. Thanks very much. Yeah, no worries. Sorry about this, Jim. No worries. Cheers. No. Uh, she's um, just for your information, guys. Um, Shirley's on the uh, board of uh, the film festival here in our little town, so um, she's um, she's wanted in that. Regard and you never know. One day we might have an adventure film festival here. Mm. So yeah, there you go. So she's off to do that. Yeah, well, that's fine. Um, it was great to have her here in here for the for the start of this. Um, Sam, right? Okay, um, it's, it's just been brilliant listening to Brian and Shirley talking, and they've actually said a lot of the things that I was going to say. Um, I think think of packing as being an ever changing three D jigsaw puzzle. Now, there are some things that will always slot into the same place, and we tend to use um, some lighter weight. Um, oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word now, but um, plastic boxes uh, with with waterproof seals on, on the lids and so on, and those slot into the bottom of the panniers with things like spare parts and that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, always keep the weight down low. Um, but ever changing 3D jigsaw puzzle where you use things. Or you wear something out, or so you're never going to be packing exactly the same as as you do, and and that's fine. Um, the most important rule, I think, with packing is weight down low and as close to the centre point between the two wheels as possible. So, you know, I will even carry the really heavy stuff at the bottom of my panniers, but at the front of the panniers, because that makes a massive difference. And I too started off with a top box and, oh gosh, what was it, four months into the trip, I got rid of that in part because it was tall and that meant um, there was a, a lot of upside down pendulum effects um, from it. But also, yeah, the weight of the blooming thing. I mean, Tiffany Coates, she's got one and she's had it for years and she loves it and I can see the absolute practicality 
practicalities for it. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, everybody is going to sort out their equipment to suit themselves. But I prefer also having a soft bag that I can move around. And Brian, you gave me a grin when you said about making a plate to go onto your rear luggage rack. I did exactly the same thing with yeah. that extra bit of support um, for it. Um, having a walkaway bag, I think, is um, a really important thing for an overlander. And in that, you've got things like um, your paperwork, your bottle of water, a book, um, your pen knife, your camera, those sorts of things that you can just grab from the bike and you can go. So you can go into the border um, building and you've got the paperwork that you need. If a dodgy situation happens, then you can just grab that and you can go. Um, those sorts of things. Sam, that, um, that's like you're talking about a tank bag to use, is that? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it can be a tank bag. Um, mm. uh, Berger actually made me one of mine. Um, the first one I had was actually a shoulder bag and it was made out of Ethiopian army surplus um, canvas. So I just had this image of this stuff rattling around in the back of army trucks. And they stuff, you could not slash it with a sharp knife, not even a Stanley type knife. And in the shoulder um, strap of that, I'd put um, a guitar string inside it so that nobody walking behind me could slash it. It wasn't the, the prettiest of things to sit on my petrol tank, but it just works so well as a, a walkaway bag. And now I've just got a tank bag um, with a shoulder strap, and I just grab that and, and leave. And I have the confidence that, yeah, in an emergency, I've got the stuff that I need. Another tip is, um, you know, just actually fits very well with what Brian just said. Make sure that your dinner jacket or your frock is of the type that the creases drop out of quickly. <laughs> Spoken like a true Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I carry an umbrella as well. <laughs> a bowler hat? Well, no, not quite. Well, you, close, you, close, you do have the umbrella. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I never travel without an umbrella. It's one of my most useful pieces of equipment. So do I. That's great. It's brilliant, isn't it? Fantastic. It's such a versatile bit of kit. A friend of mine, Owen Baldoff, um, he's a, um, a motorcycle riding instructor, and um, he, he sort of raised an eyebrow when I told him about that. And um, a few months later, I had a message from him saying, Sam, I started carrying um, um, a collapsible umbrella, just like you su suggested. And you'll never guess what. One of my guys fell off his bike and broke his leg. And guess what I had to hand to use a splint? Yeah. And I thought, yep. wow, yeah, yeah, another perfect use for it. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, as far as packing is concerned, um, I tend to, to compartmentalize. So I've got um, four sections, the bike, me, health, and camping. And each of those things tend to go mostly in one individual unit or another. So pannier one, pannier two, waterproof um, roll top bag, um, or my tank panniers. Um, and that just means that I, they always, the things always stay more or less in those panniers, but they just may vary in position according to climate, for example. So, for example, I'll yeah. get my days um, and so on. So it's, it's actually a relatively straightforward system. But those keys, weight down low, um, between the wheels. Um, and I love what you were talking about then, Brian, with um, the layers. Um, the, the, because yeah. you just don't need to have um, something for every different environment, do you? You need to have different components so that you can make to fit the different environments that you're in. 
Well, well, when you talk about um, packing uh, in different spots, Sam, it's easy for me. It's hers, mine, and the bikes. Three areas, that's it. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking to Shirley, you know, she would take a denim skirt, for example. I said, no, why take a denim skirt? Why not just take a lightweight skirt that's good for summertime and wear leggings underneath if you're cold? Yeah, yeah. that's like, what Bergen does. Little things like that can make a huge difference so they're not taking two or three different items of clothing. Yeah. Um, I really think that's important. And tank, when you're think, talking about tank bags and things like that, there have been instances of people with those magnetic tank bags sitting at traffic lights and in traffic getting them snatched off their bike. Yeah. Very rare, very rare, but um, that's something to think about. Um, you really should have it uh, at least tied onto your bike somehow with one of those straps. That's the only thing. That's a and, really um, good point. Yeah, just just a little strap, or say around the yoke of the bike, you know, around around the front or around somewhere around there. That's all it needs to stop people being opportunistic and r- ripping it off while you're sitting on your bike and you can't get off. But um, keeping everything, keeping all your valuables in that area, it, it is a bit of a target. So you've got to show a little bit of um, security with that sort of thing. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you a funny story where. When we were on our trip in uh, India, I think we, I've said this, our friend had his tank bag on his bike and um, we were pulled up having a bit of a break in, in this little forest and there was a heap of monkeys around. Now, monkeys have very dexterous little fingers mm. and he'd left his bike and, he, and um, the zip came open on the tank bag and all of a sudden, up in the tree went this um, bag that was inside the tank bag <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting at the bottom of the trees. A monkey's going through, picking at things and dropping them down. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. a little bit of caution. Oh yes, if you're anywhere near monkeys, they will get into everything so yeah. fast. Oh, fast <laughs> is the word. Yeah, and aggressively as well. You can't scare them off. <laughs> They'll no. bare their teeth. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's mob- some of them get vicious. It's mob rule, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The blue-balled oh, yeah. monkeys at Victoria Falls, my God, those things were were fast and sharp-eyed and nimble-fingered and they stole my breakfast, the bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, do, do you have more, this, uh, more packing stuff? Oh, um, I can talk on this forever, but I'm, I'm <laughs> yes. sure. We all can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's Who's I, was, next? I was trying to make the rounds here before we, we get too far off topic here. Yep. So you're good where you are? Yeah, no, go for it. Okay. I mean, jump in. Anybody jump in if, you, if, if you've got stuff to, to go along with what people are saying. Grant, how about you? Oh, I've got a few things to say the least. I mean, we did a whole DVD on gearing up and packing and taking your stuff and all that. Um, but some of the, the basics that we had figured out was stuff sacks for everything. Every single thing is in a stuff sack. Nothing's loose. Um if you're unloading your panniers and there's people around because you need to get at somebody at the bottom, you're just picking out some colored bags and they can't see what it is. So it doesn't really have any value. It's like putting a cover on your bike and the bike disappears on the street. Um, so that makes a big difference. And for instance, we know we stop at the side of the road, pull the pannier lid off and look inside and grab the purple bag and head for the bushes. That's easy. Not a problem. Um, the, the gray bag is Susan's clothing bag. The blue bag is Grant's clothing bag and so forth. So you, you learn where everything is and everything packs easily. One of the secrets with stuff sacks is that you don't stuff them tight and full. They should be loose so that you can change the shape of it a little bit and squish it into that little corner over there. Mm, good tip. 
Yeah, I think uh, I've, I've seen people with these uh, fairly stiff bags, zippers and all that, and they all look, they're really tidy. It's beautiful. But they take the bags themselves take up a quarter of the total space you've got, and you can't adjust it if your tenure is half an inch too long. With a uh, soft bag, you can squeeze it into that half inch. You never know what you'll fit in that space, uh, especially when you're two up. Every single tiny cubic centimeter counts. Um, somebody mentioned jeans that they're uh, uh, they take forever to dry. Well, not only that. But one pair of jeans equals two pairs of uh, synthetic pants and a T-shirt mm-hmm. for one pair of jeans. So, and we went. Uh, yeah, well, just, we just, off, just before you get off those, just yeah. before you get off those soft bags that go inside bags, uh, inside panniers. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the ones that the um, uh, motorcycle companies produce, they are so heavy and so thick. Yes. You yeah. know, I had some when I bought my first bike, and I got rid of them. They're just too big, and I actually had. Softer ones made up, which are thinner and took up very little space. Go to a any climbing store. Any climbing store yeah, will have exactly. really lightweight zip, uh, stuff sacks. We still don't have. Waste, don't sacks. waste your money. No, we still have stuff sacks that we took with us in 1987. That purple bag, we still got it. It's still got the same <laughs> job. It still works fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't need. There's a mountain equipment co-op here, which has been around forever, and they're um, climb. They start off as climbing and they now do just about everything. Um, but their mantra for years was bomb-proof. It will never fail. Well, yeah, but I don't need bomb-proof. I'm not going to carry dynamite. <laughs> okay? So I just want something that's really lightweight, the lightest I can possibly get, and that's good enough. And if it wears out, gee, I can buy another one. You know, it's not a big deal. So that was a really big thing for us that made a huge difference. It was just made everything so much easier. I, mean, I could unload a pannier by grabbing 10 strings and pulling. That's it. Walk away. I can carry a bunch of stuff easily that way. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a big thing. Um, top boxes, mentioning top boxes. Susan won't ride with a top box anymore. And yet when we first started riding, she wanted a top box. And she felt safe and secure with a top box. And she said, I can lean back in the top box and go to sleep. Well, what she actually does is she just sits there and I can tell she's asleep because her helmet bumps my back every once in a while. <laughs> And yeah. she's sound asleep. Yeah. She doesn't oh, yeah. need the top box. Um, so we said, okay, we're not going to do a top box on the new bike, the 1200. Um, but she wanted just a roll bag. She always wanted to have a little bag there just up against her bum. Didn't need the whole box, but just the bum. Um, and her thinking, or our thinking really on the top box was, you know, if you get rear-ended, and we have been rear-ended in the car, um, that's a big whack. And that's not good for her back. That sharp edge against her back. Hmm. That's my thought too. And if you go down too, I mean, if for some yeah. reason you go down, yeah, you have something. To me, the top box is ugh, not, not well. For me. The top box locks you in. Mm-hmm. Yep, you can step off over a soft bag so much more easily than you can the height of a top box. Yeah, because exactly. the soft bag's forgiving. I mean, even yeah. even if it catches you. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot better. Um, something else we found uh, that worked well for us was. We're talking about layers. Well, I used to work in a climbing store and a mountaineering shop, so I understood layers when we headed out. Um, we use silk long johns. A silk long john is smaller than Susan's fist, and it's amazingly warm. So there's really, really compact, squishes really well, lightweight, not cheap, but worth every penny. Uh, and they last really well if you look after them. 
Um, and when, one of the things about looking after them, hey, Grant, is not to put them in the in the washing in the washing machine no, 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 along with no. the other stuff. And I see people do that, and they last a couple of months. And but look at this, this is rubbish. I spent all that money. Yeah, and I just rinse it through by hand, and they dry so quickly, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they're they're amazing, wonderful stuff. Um, when we were in Norway, uh, having left the UK and heading north, we were in Norway at some altitude, and it was snowing, it was cold, it was nasty. And we were literally wearing everything we had. The clothing bags were virtually empty. I wasn't wearing four pairs of underwear, but, you know. Um, but the point was, you got your, your underwear, you got the silk long johns, you've got um, a, a light T-shirt, you've got a heavier T-shirt, and oh, I've got a shirt, long sleeve shirt, and I've got my fleece, and I've got my electric vest, and i got my rain jacket, and I'm fine. I'm completely warm. Not a problem. Um, so we were standing there and we were all warm and stuff. And this guy comes around, comes up and he says, oh, you guys must be freezing. You need one of these. And he had one, a monster suit on. He looked like a snowman. It was just amazing. And we said, no, we're fine. How can you be? You're not wearing anything. Well, yeah, but we can click a switch on the handlebar. And guess what? We're toasty warm. Plus, we've got lots of layers. So you don't need anything heavy. I remember one couple headed off, fortunately with two bikes, but they had two riding suits each, a winter <laughs> suit and a summer suit. <laughs> Jeez. Seriously? Yeah. So, I mean, no, you don't need that. We start off assuming that you're smart. You're going to be trying to be where it's warm, not in Norway at high altitude, even if it is July in the snow. But you're going to be somewhere warm. And if it's not warm, you're going to head south or north, whichever is closest to the it's best direction to get to the equator. And you're going to try and be in places that are warm and comfortable. So if it's really nasty, wear everything you've got. Or guess what? If you're stuck in a place, I'd be willing to bet that there's a town and you can walk into the store and you can buy yourself a heavy sweater or jumper and you'll be toasty. Not a problem. Don't carry. You don't need it. Grant, you just made me think of something that I've – and I didn't even realize I do this until you mm -hmm. just said this. But I always buy my bike jackets bigger. And uh -huh. um, it's, it's never occurred to me why I do it. It just felt like the right thing to do. But thinking about it, analyzing, the reason that I do it is because I've got plenty of room to layer up or down underneath it when yeah. it's cold. But when it's hot, there's more room for air to circulate around inside yeah. the jacket. Huh. ventilation. Fancy that instinct. It, it doesn't look quite as sexy on you. You know, you don't have this... Nothing does, Grant. Muscular, masculine. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe it's just Grant. I mean, you know, maybe that's true. I, I don't know if I'm buying this. <laughs> yeah, you do need a little extra room. You don't want one that's snug and looks really good on you. You want something that's a little slightly big and sloppy, but not too big. I've had a jacket that was really too big and it was, it was constantly annoying. Well, what we have to do is you have to you realize what you wear underneath your jacket. This is what I do um, for sizing a jacket. I want to know what I'm going to wear it for. So for my motorcycle jacket, I do want the ability to ride in cold weather. So I know that I want my 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 thin um, merino wool sweater and then my thicker one underneath it. And then I just make sure I try the jacket on for that to make sure that fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they yeah, usually Chris. have cinches on them, so you can cinch it up, and you'll you'll still get a snug fit. It will hold your armor in place mm -hmm. for summer riding, but the extra bulk, like Sam said, allows for more airflow to go through. Yeah, yeah. I've got a new Rucka jacket, which is absolutely amazing, and it's got all kinds of snaps for tightening up the sleeves so nothing flaps and snugs it up, and it's got ventilation and everything. And and having that flexibility is so critical. Mm. Yeah. So those are the main things that I think. 
um, that other people didn't really cover. But mostly for packing, I mean, we have when we traveled in '87 around on our around the world, we had let's see, we had a laptop which was about six times or eight times the size of a modern laptop. In other words, it was three inches thick. Think about that now. Three inches thick. I know, That's I a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the most compact, genuine laptop available at the time. It was amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. But it's a three-inch laptop, and we had to have a separate CD drive, which was about half the size of the laptop in order to, to do anything with it. Um, two boxes of floppy disks. And uh, I had two camera bodies. Susan had one and about six or seven lenses. And that's about two-thirds of the saddlebag. And now all of that can be in just one smartphone. You've got yourself covered. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It's actually isn't one it? smartphone, if you think about it. I, mean, I know it's kind of obvious, but one smartphone is more powerful than that computer you had. Probably way oh, more, or definitely kidding? way more storage and everything. I mean, it, really, it's all handled with one smartphone. Yeah. Well, that laptop had two 720K floppies. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even know <laughs> what a, a kilobyte is. It's gigabytes, isn't it? No, no. <laughs> no, I know. That's... So, yeah, so we had that to start with. And then we had a clothing bag each. When And these are, oh, I don't know, 18 inches, 20 inches long and about 10 inches diameter. And that was everything. That was all we needed. Plus riding gloves. I had spare gloves. Um, and it would all fit into the two saddlebags. The top box was the house, literally. It was tent, sleeping bags, the mattresses, the stove, the whole shoot match. We didn't need the top box unless we were camping, period. Um, that made life a lot easier because we just didn't have to dig through so many things. I think see people pulling stuff out of saddlebags. And, and what they want is at the bottom, but the stuff they got on the top, why is that on the top? You only use that occasionally. It's just a crazy way to pack it. So you yeah. really got to think, what do I use and what do I not use? And what I don't use goes at the bottom, and if it's heavy, it goes at the bottom at the front, like Sam says, 100% agree. Keep the weight down and forward. Um, think about when when you're going to need stuff, when's the emergency stuff. Our first aid kit sat at the top of one of the saddlebags. Um, so, yeah, down and forward, use knee tank bags. The ones that come down on the side of the saddlebag or the side of the tank are great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um well, yeah, let's get right. Graham in here. Yes. We haven't heard from Graham, and yeah. I want to make sure that he hasn't fallen asleep. Yeah, I don't know because it's morning, Jim. Remember? Well, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, you've just been so quiet. I don't. Maybe you drifted off because you're so dirty from working on the sewage thing. I don't know. You're tired. <laughs> yeah, I can smell it. No, all I would say is I, I am an advocate of top boxes uh, as a solo traveler, and yes, they can weigh a lot. Um, I did a trip last summer with a mate of mine who was on a Triumph Sprint with standard Triumph luggage. And I'd said to him, you know, don't put too much weight in your top box. Keep it in the in the side panniers. And there was an instant where we were leaving the hotel, and I was carrying his top box. I said, what the hell have you got in here? It is so heavy. And he said, no, it's the top box. And it was. <laughs> it weighed so much. And it ended up actually cracking. It's now sitting in my garage. It's too nice to throw out, but it's still bloody useless. You could use it as a jacuzzi. And um, but it's got this big crack on it. It's rocking on the rack on the back of the bike. So, yes, some top boxes uh weigh so much by themselves but i've got a plastic what is it called crapper or something i can't remember what it's called um and it's great because like grant says keep all the camping stuff in there not particularly heavy it's waterproof and as a solo rider if i do have a dry bag then that goes behind the top box so i've got that soft almost lumber support of the of the dry bag 
uh, where the pillion would go. But of course, you know, I'm talking about just solo riding. And uh, so that worked for me. That I, I am a fan of the top box. And also it's got the security aspect as well as a, as a solo traveler. Um, but as for the packing thing, I now have a very comprehensive list of everything I take, what pannier it goes in. And I have a checklist to check off when I, uh, I take it. Also, when I get back, and this is kind of finicky, but I write whether, whether I actually used that thing. Was it useful? Did I use it much? I mean, okay, you might not use your regular your regulator rectifier or your CDI unit, but that never means I won't take them because I want to have them there. Even if it's not that that's gone wrong, it at least eliminates that as a suspect and you can keep looking for something else. But there are things that um, that now I'm pretty – I've got my, my uh, pack list uh, yet still, still, like we said earlier, take too much. It's just an inevitability. It's something that I don't think can be cured. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem, it yeah. seem to be the thing that, that plagues everybody, no matter what experience they have, um, the the overpacking thing. And and, and, I, and I know I've mentioned before, um, and you guys know that, that I used to be into tourism, uh, adventure tours. And with that, we did a lot of packing. I mean, the packing was a, a big, big part of what we did. And you had to k- take as little as possible. And one of the common themes that you saw very, very early on when we started doing it was uh, the overpacking of clothes. People bring all kinds of clothes. And even though we would tell them, you know, you really don't need many clothes, they get down to the bottom and they find they haven't worn only a fraction of what they've actually brought. Now, this is wilderness trips too, where you don't have an option because once you go off on the, one of the adventures we used to run, there was no place to get anything. But with with motorcycling, with travel, we have the advantage of being able to grab stuff as, as you guys have all pointed out before at different places. But but the one thing I wanted to throw in here that, that hasn't been covered yet is uh, understanding weight distribution and maximum weight. Motorcycles have a maximum weight. They, they have a maximum gross vehicle weight that you cannot exceed. And when I, I see some pictures, you know, of, of uh, motorcycles that are all loaded up, you can clearly see they're overloaded. And when they're overloaded, this is where you hear of suspension problems and people um, blowing out their rear shock, etc. They can only handle so much weight. And really, I mean, I guess as much as they're, they're made into adventure bikes nowadays, I don't think there's as much put into weight carrying capacity as there in is to all the other things that go along with it. The weight distribution thing I mentioned, and, and Sam talked about this and sort of Grant a, a little bit about spreading the weight out, those heavy things down low, but also the forward, um, the packs. And I, I know that some of you guys run them where you, you have some, some places on your bike where you can put things up the front to help spread that mm-hmm. weight out. And yep. I, I think sure. that's really, really important. Yep. I see heavy stuff. like Things like stoves are a great thing to put in the knee, knee pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because I ride um, an old airhead, I have to carry spare oil, um, and that's where I carry it. And I carry my water there as well because that's a huge amount of weight that you're suddenly transferring up front. It's still mm-hmm. very firmly between the wheels. It's down low, and that weight is balancing around out a lot of what you're swinging around off the back end. And Jim, I'm probably preempting you with this comment, but something that we've all forgotten to mention is when you're loading your luggage make sure that what you're, bal- you're carrying on one side balances out weight-wise with what you're carrying on the other side. That yeah. make a massive difference yeah. handle-wise. Definitely. And that's something you may not notice if you don't pay attention to it, but it does definitely affect your riding. Um, and it's obvious if you, if you think about it, um, it's, it's going to affect your riding. 
the, the other thing I was going to say just before we get away from the, the weight distribution is, is that top box we're talking about that, you know, some people like and, and Graham that you like them and, and others don't. And I, I love that. It's, that's what great thing about having a group of people sit around because you don't get this rule laid down that top boxes are no good. Hey, if it works for you, it works for you. It's as simple as that. But you yep. do want to keep in mind with the top box that the area that you're bolting that top box Two has a very low weight capacity on most motorcycles. I, I would think almost yeah. every motorcycle with that uh, extension on the subframe. So, and we're oh. talking as low as like 20 pounds. What are you going to say, Graham? Oh, if you read it, it's lower than that. It tells you, yeah, do not exceed seven pounds or something. It's like, well, if I bolt it on with stainless steel bolts, I've exceeded exactly. that. So, and, so the, um, go ahead. <laughs> Well, so now I, I so I ignore that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to say with top boxes, I use a top box, but I use it when I'm when I'm riding solo. If I'm going into the city, I'm not taking the panniers and things like that. You know, just for day trips and things like that, I'll I'll use a top box. But if we're travelling and we're travelling heavy with all our camp gear and all the rest of it, no, I might take it then. Because I find it's too bulky, and the the the, um, the BMW top boxes, which are all um, uh, stainless, I mean they they are very heavy. Whereas the Jivy top box and things like that, they're a lot lighter. They're they're made of a plastic uh, compound, and um, they, they they weigh not much at all, other than their their mounting plate. But um, yeah, I, I, that's it. Just depends what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I have this distinct. Um, bolted into my brain vision of a guy going over a bump and his top box continuing on up and over his head and crashing to the ground in front of him. Because, it, <laughs> and, and I won't mention the brand. It's already been mentioned. Oh, you mean you've actually seen this? I saw it. Oh. I was riding behind him. <laughs> well, th- that's a safety feature, Grant. Um, it's so you, so you don't lose anything. Because if it just fell off the back, you'd never know it fell off. So it's good to have it come up front. Yeah, but he almost rode over it too. <laughs> the downside. <laughs> that would have been not good. Anyway, almost, only almost. <laughs> Something for, just a, a thought for Kevin. Um, he might like to or might not uh, adopt this, regardless of whether it's a, a, a top box or whether it's um, a waterproof roll bag. But we treat ours as being bags that we can climb off the bike with. So, in other words, if the weather's rubbish, we've got our tent up. Um, that bag has our sleeping bag and sleeping mat, flip-flops, wash gear, a chewy bar, bag of nuts, clean T-shirt, underwear, socks, um, and a, a little bit of fresh food and um, a pack-away rucksack. And that means that if it is hitting down with rain when we put the tent up, this bag is everything that we need to go inside the tent and it's dry. And then we're just set up and we can sit out the rain um, in comfort. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also good for, for carrying into a hotel. I just want to jump back to the, we were talking about liquids and the one thing I wanted to mention about that, my rule is no liquids inside a pannier at all Yeah, um, be, because it's the <laughs> last place you want liquid. I mean, it, you, you don't want oil like, you know, Sam's oil. If he puts it in his pannier and, and it leaks in on your clothes, that's the last thing you want. Water, the same thing. Um, gas, gas mm-hmm. fuel, mm-hmm. stove fuel, anything like that. And, and it's, yeah. it's like Murphy's law. You put it in there and you're probably going to find that it ends up getting punctured or ends up leaking because it heats up or, or whatever the case is. So, so that's always, um, that's always something that I avoid anyway. And the other thing I was going to mention is that, and, and I think Grant, you, you sort of talking about this as well. Smaller is better in particular. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with odd size things, 
if you put everything in, and we sort of covered this a little bit, if you put everything in a big container, it becomes this big, bulky thing. So stuff sacks, I think, are great. I agree with you, Grant, putting things in a stuff sack so you can keep things organized. But you're better off with a bunch of small stuff sacks rather than one big one. And what I do with my panniers, yeah. and of course, I don't have nearly the experience you guys have um, with packing things on motorcycles. But what I do with my uh, panniers is I have a big bag that I put in to begin with, like a plastic bag, and everything goes inside those. And I can pull the things out individually, my little bags that I have inside there, my, my little things that I have inside there. Or if I was to go in somewhere or I need the whole thing out, and I sometimes do if I'm going to do a repair or something, I'll grab that that bag and I'll pull it right out. And then I've got everything, the panniers empty, and I can sort through it. And it's, and it's, it's see-through, so I can sort through it because of plastic bag. We're, we're doing similar to that now. I mean, our, our packing has evolved, obviously, since 1987. Um, but now we have a large bag that fits inside each pannier. And I can just pick up the. I can pick up those two bags and put the roll bag over my shoulder, and that's it. We're done. We're, un, we're lo- unloaded, and mm-hmm. I can do that in about a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and inside each of those bags that are in the pannier is individual stuff sacks and lots of them, because mm-hmm. it just makes everything so much easier. Yeah. Well, while we're so still can, on the subject of, of, of stuff um, stuff sacks and um, keeping things small, um, top tip for all the guys um, is just make sure that you, you take budgie smugglers and um, not boxer shorts. They're good stuff sacks. Huh? <laughs> okay, okay, budgie smugglers. Like, I, I think anybody who's listened to the show has probably got that. It's the Speedo. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. all right, all right. Yeah, I wear them all the time when I'm swimming. That's okay. You seriously do? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to go there. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Why would you want all that drag in the water? You know, you've got to, got to tuck things in and get it right. <laughs> so, Sam, I, knew, I, I, you, I knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> yes, I, I knew did. exactly what you were going to say. <laughs> Enough said. Stuff sacks, but yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I know we could go on forever. Um, we won't. <laughs> with this. The, the other thing that I was going to mention is that one thing with, because we talked about the top box and I'm not picking on top boxes, but one thing about it is uh, that I find is, is sort of a rule of thumb is if you have the space, you tend to fill it. So if yeah. you go out and buy the biggest panniers you can, just in case you actually need the space, you will need the space and you, and you justify it. And you, you take your top box because you need the space. You will need that space and you will justify it by filling it up with stuff. And again, I I go back to that weight on the motorcycle thing that, you know, the blown out shock, the broken subframe from too much weight on the bike. And we have to remember what we're doing. You know, we're we're riding a a motorcycle and we're really not meant to take a lot of stuff. Um, My goal always on packing is to have a couple of inches spare at the top of each saddlebag. If I've got mm-hmm. two inches spare, then I've packed properly. And guess what? I can buy dinner okay, and some, carry some water. Yeah, that's what I was going to really say. Because if you go to buy groceries, you can have no place to put it unless you've yeah. actually made space for it when you were packing. It's, it's a wonderful like, thing to take off the lid and, and put in the bread, put in the bananas, and they're not yeah. getting crushed. You're not putting them under a bungee cord. It's it's a yeah. real luxury to have that space on top of the pan, on the top of your pannier. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, great. Maybe maybe we should uh, on the show. Maybe we should have a photo of your first bike when traveling. And you had those enormous um, boxes that you built on the side yeah. of the chairs. Yeah, how things changed since then. Why not everybody? That's a great idea. Let's put that in the show notes for this one. Everybody, send me the photo of your bike loaded up and an early photo if you have one of your bike loaded up. To, to <laughs> 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 and Graham, you used to have a picture on your um 
on your on your website. It was like it was the main picture. Your bike was he- and you went into water, I think, and fell over. Your bike looked heavily loaded yep. up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was where I did the whole taking the spare tire thing. Um, That's right. Which yeah. I, I'm glad I did it on that trip, uh, but obviously that's something. I probably wouldn't. I think it's location-based and time-based, you know, to decide on where you're going to do it. I wouldn't change that. If I did that again, I would, heading through Kazakhstan and Mongolia, I would probably do that again and take those spare tires. It was worth the hassle, and they were a lot of hassle because they never bloody stay still, and you are always unstrapping them. But I still think in that trip, in that instant, that location, it was worth it. But uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it on, on many destinations. It's a shame that tires for motorcycles don't come like bicycles. You know, they come all folded up nowadays. Just do that yeah. figure eight thing and fold them up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. you, you can't do that, Jim. You're not strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried. Yeah, i got to make a comment. Though. Um, Brian said that my top boxes, my enormous top boxes, you know, I've had the R80 GS parked right beside the 1200 GS with standard saddlebags on it. And do you know that the R80 GS with those enormous boxes on it looks tiny? Mm. It's an 800cc motorcycle. It's reached the ground, flat-footed, no problem. Uh, Sam will vouch for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's loads of room. It's a tiny motorcycle with what looks like large boxes. And that R80 GS across the back is 11 inches narrower than my 1200 GS with standard saddlebags on it. Wow. The, I, I, I was thinking inches, of the bags, the, the, the ones that you made that look like... Um, oh, the front like ones. Rifle. Yeah, the, rump, yes. the front one. Do you know the funny thing about those? More than one border guard said, what do you got in there, machine guns? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks and like they it. never looked. Yeah, I remember they never that. checked. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, so I got a question here to go along with what we're talking about here. Have you guys ever, ever left for a trip, got on your trip and panicked because you forgot an essential that wasn't in your kit? Yeah, waterproofs. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say passport. <laughs> oh, and generally vehicle documents. That's pretty yeah. much a given now. Oh, that's a bad one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Graham, you need to have your vehicle documents attached to you with a bungee cord, don't you? Yeah, I've done it twice. Yeah. You should get them tattooed. <laughs> oh, Graham, you know the story about me leaving my passport and money and other documents underneath my pillow in a hotel room in Africa. <laughs> and, and No, yeah, you um, don't know the oh, story, Sam. You're going to have to tell it. Yeah, it's a new one. Uh, oh, um, Northern Tanzania. Um, Riding on dirt roads, had a friend on the back, and this was the first time I'd had a pillion. And of course, I chose somebody who was well over six foot um, to go on the back of the bike, dirt road. We're skirting along the the bottom of um, a range of mountains, um, looking up into into them, and just beautiful. And um, saw a side turning, so hey, why not? Let's let's go up there. Um, spent a couple of days up in the mountains, wandering around, little um, local lad showing us around. Fantastic! He took us to places that we would never have discovered without him. Anyway, the last night, it's hissing down with rain, and I'm thinking about the ride back down this steep mountain road, and I'm thinking about the dirt road that we were on at the bottom, and. I am not a happy guy because I've got this very big pillion passenger on the back of my bike and I am not thinking straight. So I, we pack and we climb on the bike and literally slide down this hill with me standing on the back of the brake and the bike, um, back brake and the bike not stopping. Get to the bottom, 
spend the next, I don't know, what was it, four hours, something like that. The rain was so heavy that I could feel the drops hitting me. It was just horrible. And I was scared witless and just hanging on and trying not to dump the two of us. And John was sitting on the back being an incredibly good pillion passenger for somebody who'd never done it before. Anyway, when we made it to the asphalt, phew, thank God for that. And it's still hissing down as rain. There's a hotel just across the road from us and we didn't care. It looked expensive, but in those situations, you just don't care, do you? So we went straight in and started the booking and process. And that was when I realized that I didn't have my passport and I didn't have my traveler's checks and I didn't have a good chunk of my money. And that was when I realized that I'd left them underneath my pillow in the hotel. Well, I got to go back for them, hadn't I? But the thought of riding back was just a nightmare. And I thought, well, I, I'm, I'm not strong enough to ride back. I was so knackered from this. Um, so I went down the side of the road and um, started hitchhiking. I, I swear I'd only been there a few minutes when a four by four pulled up next door to me. Do you want to live, mister? Um, I said, oh, yes, please. Um, where would you like to go? And I said, well, the name of the town, Soto. He said, oh, I'm going now. I'll take you all the way. So fantastic. Oh my guardian angel, she's lovely. Anyway, I got back up to the um to the little village and um walked towards the hotel and there were the, the, the lady owners of this hotel and they'd all lined up and they were holding my money belt and my passport and oh. they were holding big grins on their faces. Um Did you contact so them and let them know you're coming back? No, there's no way to contact them. Oh wow, they, so they're just they, waiting. Tiny little hotel, local place, no phone. Um but um, yeah, no, it was one of those things that really restores your faith in human nature and makes you know that most people in this world are good. Because mm. my goodness, though, they did not waggle fingers at me and I deserved every <laughs> finger waggle like that. <laughs> A little tip with leaving yeah. things, and, and this works for everything, if you're going to leave stuff like that under your pillow, leave your bike keys as well, because you won't be leaving until you've got that. And I use this on a daily basis. Last week, went to my girlfriend's, bought beer comes in two and a half litre bottles here, and I put the beer in her fridge, and I put my bike keys in there. And then when it was time to go, where's my keys? Oh, they're in the fridge with the beer. So you don't forget it. So even when I'm visiting someone, if I've got, like if I'm on the way back from the supermarket and I want to put some food in their fridge, just put your keys in there as well, and then you won't forget it. Yeah. Good idea. I that, like that. Yeah, I that's that's really, the man has a logic. Very simple. That is so <laughs> simple. Yet, we've got, we've got a so really, valuable. really nice. Yeah, we've got a really nice bag. We take wine and bottles of beer and we go visiting people. I always put the keys in it because it's such a beautiful, you know, you could quite easily walk out and leave it there. Um, so, yeah, I do the same thing. Mm. It's great, great. Good at yes. <laughs> Kevin, this was a really good topic for us to discuss. Not old at all. Nice one. Yeah, yep. and there's more good to this stuff. too that, we, that I want to just quickly touch on. But but first I want to say that Doug Mullet is also a supporter and he goes and gives blood. And uh, he's a regular blood donor, Doug is. And, and when he goes, he listens to Raw. <laughs> so he's listening. Oh, good man. He's going to be listening right now. And, and what we have to do is remind him to flex. Uh, it's part of the process <laughs> of giving blood. So I promised does, Doug that, that when I give him... Is that how he supports you? Most people have a patron, but Doug gives you blood. You know, I take whatever I can get, and and I don't know quite what to do with this. <laughs> but I got a fridge full. Well, Doug, Doug is a good. Easy. <laughs> okay. The the other part of Kevin's question, Kevin Ferreter, is how do you find a hotel that's cheap and still livable? 
<laughs> easy answer to that. Don't take the cheapest place in town. <laughs> you say don't get it? <laughs> don't take the cheapest place right. in town. It'll be a rattle for sure. Well, I think also it depends. Well, if you've pulled into a town late in the evening, it's dark. If you're going to yep. be leaving early in the morning, doesn't really matter if it hasn't got windows. If all you want to do is get your head down and be out of the weather, it's good enough. But if you pull into town in the afternoon, maybe you're going to take a day off, then you have got the time to look around. So I think it's very much based on your criteria for that evening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you need a break in a nice hotel? Are you feeling unwell? You need a nice hotel. Um, as two up, and I'm sure Brian will agree with this, Susan goes in and checks out the hotel and makes sure it's suitable. I have nothing to do with it. It's not my yeah, fault. I, I, I used to do it, but I got banned because my, <laughs> uh, my standards and hers are very different. Yeah. No, no, but you can, you, can, you, can, you can still pick reasonably priced hotels. And the best thing is the internet now. You, you go to anywhere in the world and you find free internet access either in a, in a public square or, dare I say, in a Golden Arches um, facility. Um, you get free internet and you do a search and you, you'll find cheap stuff that way nowadays. Best way to go. Yeah, you know you know one of the problems with, with doing, and I'll just throw this in here, the, with doing internet searches, I recently read a book. It's called Near Varna by Graham Fields, the new book out actually. But in that, uh, Graham was saying <laughs> that he met somebody who was doing five-star reviews. They were getting paid to do five-star reviews. Graham? Yeah, Um I'm, I'm disgusted at that behavior, but I know it happens. That's how people, you know, students and that earn, earn their money is by reviewing stuff they've never seen and give people pay to get five-star reviews. And I think it's the most dishonest and appalling thing to do to earn a living. You are deliberately deceiving people. You mm-hmm. are lying. And uh, I think it's a despicable habit. It's, it's shocking, yeah, but, but I mean, up. it's, it's yeah. very, very common nowadays. I think it's actually even Ill- illegal. I thought it was illegal in the UK, uh, not in the UK, in Europe to do fake reviews, but I mean, it's everything. It's, it's, it's fake reviews. It's fake likes. I mean, everything is available to buy on the internet now, if you, uh, if you're inclined to do that. But the problem is, is it ruins it for all of us that, that depend on those. And, and I know Graham, you said in the book that, um, you know, you depend on those when, when you're looking for something. And I do too. I, I try to look through to get an idea of if a product is good or not, that totally ruins that. And that's why I mentioned it about you just want to be wary. And I guess maybe you look at the volume of them. I don't know. Figure out a way to, to make sure that those reviews are great or, or, or quality. Well, we, we touched on this well, before. And one of our yeah. listeners sent us a link to a website. Unfortunately, I can't remember what it was. It was like Spot Review or something. And then you can Google the reviews. And, you, and if the reviewer has a variety of reviews of different products, you can see it, it checks how valid the reviews of the reviewer are and therefore how valid the reviews mm. of that product are. And right. it was really good. And I was so proud that I was like grade A for my books because I don't pay for reviews. But I, that works on any product. And so you can see if it's got paid reviews. And uh, I can't remember the link. I can find it, but it was a brilliant thing. Uh, so it does give some validity to the reviews you're reading. If you can find it, um, we'll put it in the show notes. And that must work off the IP address or something like that, does it? Yeah, and I think um, if it's a valid, uh, what do they call it, a verified purchase that you're reviewing, then clearly 
um, your reviews are more valid than mm-hmm. if you're just getting paid to review something you've never seen, touched, or used. Yeah. Well, and they, they will make an account and review a whole bunch of things. So in other words, if you if you were like, so let's say it was Amazon, you go on there and you'll review tons and tons of, of different things and it may not be consistent, you know, and I think that's what you're looking for. Like if you're reviewing hotels all over the world, for instance, in a whole bunch of places right after the other, one after the other, then that becomes kind of obvious that, that it's a scam. Mm. Yeah, I, th- mm. I think even with Amazon, mm. if, you, if if you take the time out, you can actually have a look to see um, the sort of things that each person who has reviewed a product has, has you know, other, yeah. otherwise reviewed as well. Yeah. You just just click on them. There's there's an opportunity um, for that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this business about buying reviews is just it's it's it's, it's sickening. It's so dishonest. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Mm. for sure. But, but getting back to, to getting a hotel, I mean. The other thing I look for if we come into a town is location. If we want to be in the heart of town or we want to be near somewhere where we want to walk to, um, that's, that comes into the, the criteria, not just not just price. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you want to be in and out of town. You're just passing through. So we always drive through town. And as we're leaving town, we start looking for hotels. So that we're on the far side of town. We're not going yeah. to put up with town yeah. traffic in the morning when we want to leave. And the further out you go, yeah, the, the cheaper they tend to become. Yeah. And we we try never to judge um, a hotel by its cover. Um, and either Burger or I will go into a hotel. And Brian, yeah, it's normally Burger. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, in Vietnam, for example, we we were looking for somewhere to stay, and we rolled up to this place, and it said the Ritz. And I've always wanted to stay in the Ritz. <laughs> But when we looked at the outside of this hotel, we thought, no, this is just rough as guts. No, don't do it. But I thought, yeah, come on, you know, it's the Ritz. Let's go and have a look. Inside, it was absolutely lovely. It was basic, but it was pristine clean. The sheets were freshly washed. The room smelled clean. There was no mold anywhere, glass in all the windows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But from the outside... Yeah, never never judge a hotel by its cover. Always go in and have a look. Ask to see the rooms. Um, but um, I think that's yeah. a lot of something that most North Americans or Europeans aren't used to is asking to see the room. And yet, that's what you do. That's normal. Mm. Uh, we always do that. Susan will take a few minutes and she'll run up, check out the room. Yep, looks okay, not okay, and that's it. And mm. it's not unusual for us to do two or three or even four different hotels if we're having a hard time. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Sam, just get in the habit. Sam, you, yeah. you, you gave it, uh, you told this before uh, on Robert, I just like to get you to tell it again about what you do with the bed, like to deal with maybe, maybe a place that you considered might have bed bugs and stuff. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a great fan of non-crinkly ground sheets. This um, carries on with Kevin's question about packing, doesn't it? Um, two uses for everything that you possibly can and a non-crinkly ground sheet well not only protects the underside of your tent but then when you're in when you find yourself and the only place you can stay is a fairly cheap and nasty hotel we stayed in one in um in south america and this place was just appalling it was called the hotel casanova and my goodness lovers were not going to be happy in there Um, this place was was just so filthy and there were bed bug splatters around the walls so we put our ground sheets on top of the bed 
bed and wrapped it up the walls. The bed bugs couldn't get to us and we slept on top of that. And because it was a non-crinkly ground sheet, we had a very peaceful night's sleep. Thank you very much. And I'm so glad that when I got up in the morning, I didn't put my feet on the floor. I put my feet into my flip-flops and nearly left them behind because the floor was so sticky. My flip-flops had stuck to the floor overnight. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of of our first night in Baja, California. uh, This is the first night in Mexico on our, the start of our round-the-world trip. And Susan is still very new to motorcycling and everything. And we pulled into this hotel in Baja, California, and it was the only hotel. It was late in the day. This was it. We had no choice. So we took a room. The room next to ours, the ceiling had collapsed, so it was open to the sky. In our room, we said, okay, this is, this is really bad. This is not going to be good. But, hey, it's all there is. So instead of being smart and camping, which we could have done. We took the room, and then as we were preparing to go to bed, I flipped back to sheets, and I swear to God, everything moved. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> oh, I've never seen so many bugs in all my life. And yes, we did exactly the same thing. We put down the, the um, ground sheet over the bed, and yep, okay, that'll do. We didn't use their pillows. We used our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was grim. But that was our first camping out night in a new country. Mm. I found the fake review website. Beautiful. It's called fakespot.com. 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 Fakespot. And you can, uh, so yeah, you put in the um, the product that you're looking at, you put it in there and it will tell you how genuine the reviews are. It'll how do you know that? From a to D or something. How do you know that site Next. is real? Full of fake reviews. I wonder how much was thought. Get, get and well just, listed on that. And, and another way to judge whether a cheap hotel is worth having is um, it's a bit like asking directions. In, in India, you don't ask just one person. You have to vary your questions. And one of the things to do is when you go to the de- desk is, um, have you got a room? Yes, we have. Um, is it, uh, what sort of beds have you got in it? Oh, well, you've got a double or we've got um, twins. Okay, fine. Can I have a look, please? Yes, of course. Come with me, sir. So off you go to the room. Um, has, has it got a shower? Uh, yes, it has. Then ask the next question. Does the shower work? I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> a key question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, of course, sir. The shower works. Oh, good. Does water come out of it? That has to be the next question because it may well work very well, but there's no water. Is there a warm water? <laughs> it's funny because those are oh, questions yeah, you would never expect that's to ask. That's to warm water. You know, if, if you if yeah. you come from North America or you know to to a place where where hotels are are run in a modern style, you would never think to ask: Does the shower actually does it give water out? <laughs> That's a given, right? No, yeah. oh, we stayed no. in one in Mombasa yeah. in this hotel, this hotel room. It was very very nice, and we'd gone in there because we wanted to treat ourselves, and we'd ask the question and. Yes, there's a shower, but we were tired and we didn't ask, does it work? And is there water? And no, it didn't. And no, there wasn't. <laughs> Such disappointment. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So um, I, I think we, we did that one some justice. And I think what we'll do is we'll move on to our, our last little thing. We're just going to, we're going to wrap things up today with, um, before we do plugs, with uh, Brian Groves. Um, Brian is also uh, one of our supporters with patrons. This is a great. Um, Brian asks, do you bring or display a lucky talisman on your travels like a, a rabbit's foot? Graham? Well, I've got my little mascot, Monklet, 
who was brilliant, actually. I mean, it was company. It was a bit like Wilson, the football in, um, <laughs> in Castaway. It really was very comforting to have. I was very alone. It was comforting to have Monkley with me, but he was a huge icebreaker. I've said this before. You can look a bit intimidating on your bike when you rock up and when you've all got all your bike gear on, your face is covered. And um, it broke the ice so many times to have this little fluffy toy between the bark basher and the clutch lever. And uh, it really was. It was a real bonding thing. It was a real uh, great way to, to start conversations. And I had, you know, border guards cracking up laughing when they saw it. A brilliant thing. And, and it, I, it's kind of funny because like that first trip was 10 years ago. And I've taken Monkley on several trips. But he's taken a, a real packed seat literally now because um, – now I've got the cats. I've even got a girlfriend now. Um, I do realise that there was a huge amount of loneliness and a huge amount of attachment to this furry toy. It was company. And, and now I've, I've sort of got, my life is a bit less solitary these days and Monkley isn't so important. And uh, I did a word search on, on the new book of like how many times certain words came up in, in the new book. And Monklet was not mentioned in no. 110,000 words. So um, No, I don't remember reading anything about that. But there's nothing, Graham, there's nothing wrong with holding on to your childhood teddy bear when, you, when you're going away from home and you're scared and, and alone. That's well, nothing didn't wrong even with happen that. When he was, I, was, I didn't even buy him until I was 40. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. <laughs> don't, make, don't make fun of Graham. It's stupid. It's very cruel. Oh, what, what, what teddy bear do you take, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have Ken the Killer Koala, and Ken the Killer Koala lives on the uh, the staunching of the um, uh, fairing mounts for the, the Beamer, and he has been on every trip we've been on. He was bought and uh, attached to the first bike um, as he got a little bit ragged. Now, this, this thing is now 20 years old. And it's looking bedraggled, but I've had to cable tie him around the neck onto the bike so he doesn't get taken. <laughs> so Ken the Killer Koala is still on the bike. Um, and what we found is that people give you talismans as, you, as you're riding along. We we ended up with, um, and I've, I've, I've still got this on the bike too, a Turkish eye um, from a, a lovely Turkish uh, fellow. Um, and quite often you pull into a village and people would give you little lucky charm stones um, coins, uh, like little St. Christopher's and things like that. Well, surely you get these. We've got a little pouch in the tank bag which has all these things in it. And when we were in South America, she bought a, a little toy Milodon. A Milodon is a, um, one of the ancient um, dinosaur-type creatures uh, that uh, lived in a cave down there and they found bones down there. So she's, she carries that in a pocket on her jacket. So we're surrounded by these damn things. But Ken the Killer Koala is my favourite. No one else has got a Ken the Killer Koala. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. A Ken the Killer Koala. Ko- koala. I can't even say it. Well, why is it a killer? Koala, yeah. Oh, it's, it, it just rhymes. <laughs> koalas, are little, koalas are little cuddly creatures. Don't you know what a koala is? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, roughly. I mean, yeah, Brian, yeah. we don't have them roughly. here, okay? So they're not in my neighbourhood. <laughs> well, everyone, everyone thinks they're bears. They're not bears. They're, they're koalas. This is Brian's you know, Australian uh, version of an English sense of humour. In other words, um, you, you you call um, somebody exactly the opposite to what they have what they are. So you'll call um, a short guy lofty, and you'll call a, a yeah. tall guy yeah, short. That's, that's, 
and tiny. Everything's tiny, that's and tiny's huge. Tiny's right. huge, that's right. Well, King the Killer Koala is just King the Killer Koala. So that's that's ours. What's the Turkish eye? I mean, it, I, I could be taken literally, and I think that'd be very generous of somebody to, you know, pull out their glass <laughs> eye, but I don't think that's it. <laughs> They have a, a it's a, one of their lucky charms. It's a, it's correct me if I'm wrong here, boys, but it's blue uh, with a little. Uh, it looks like a it looks like a blue eye with a pupil and the rest of it. And they they uh, that's a lucky charm you see on bracelets and all those sorts of things. Well, we were given one. It's been on put on a little bit of fishing line and is wrapped around a, um, a mirror staunch on the bike. A mirror staunch. Nice, nice. Yeah. Anyone but they're, else? They're, they're, they're been given to us. That's really neat. I was going to say, do you do you have anything you give back? Because I know that some people have done that before. You know, they're they're taking stickers or whatever. I think you did, didn't you, Sam? Didn't you have stuff you were giving out? Um, no, not really. I mean, I'd always carry a um, bag of biscuits and bag of boiled sweets and things like that. But I mean, if somebody gave us a present, then we would always make sure that we gave them something back. You know, we'd go out and get something. And there are some countries where it is culturally absolutely the right thing to do. You don't take a present without giving something in return. Um, yeah, that's but, right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we, we, had, we a, had little pins. We had little pins um, of mm-hmm. uh, kangaroos and things like that, uh, which, uh, you know, just a bag full of those, you had 40 or 50 of those, and just gave them out, or mm. stickers or anything, yeah, just, was just as a little keepsake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah friendship bracelets are good. They're very small, very light, and the kids like the friendship bracelets. They're, they're quite good little things to give out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I remember in India, <laughs> being on a train, little kid stick his hands through a window. He said, "Hello, sir. I collect money." <laughs> I said, "Yes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do I." <laughs> yeah, I think you've got to be really careful with giving stuff out, though, because I know some people. There has been too many experiences, especially in Morocco just kind of famous for it because of the, the Dakar, um, where race cars would go flying through town and the co-driver would toss stuff out the window, gifts. So now you go through Morocco and lots of little towns, you know, the kids are always are, are lined up waiting for you to give them something. Um, so you're, you're doing bad things for tourism. Um, so we give something out when we've had a really good interaction, like with yep. kids in Central America, we would yes. give them a pen. Um, which was something that they had, didn't have enough of, or a pencil, because that was really useful for them in school because they weren't given them. They had to buy one. So that's, I think you have to be really yeah. careful and yeah. ju- don't just give everything out willy-nilly to anybody that comes along. No, that's, that's, that's a rule of thumb, though, Grant, isn't it? You, 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 you sure. Know, it's, it's quick pro quo. Someone gives you something, you give something back, or Absolutely. you have that, that wonderful interaction, you, you give something. Yeah. At the beginning of my trip, every time somebody helped me, um, I'd give them a pair of socks. I had quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's been wearing them, so they're really valuable too. You should have been giving out parts yeah. for your bike. <laughs> I know. I was giving those out to other, to other motorcyclists. I actually, I actually gave away about half of my spare parts to to other other people. The other half you still have? Um, some of the, but you know. I still had some of those spare parts by the end of the trip. And when I had my gearbox rebuilt for the first time at 250,000 miles, I was still carrying the clutch plate that I had carried for the whole of the trip. Oh. And <laughs> the mechanic who took my bike to bits for me um, um, looked at the clutch that I had on the bike and said, mm, 
you'll get a few more miles out of this. Shall we leave it in? <laughs> there you go, Kevin. There's another little tip there. You might want to think twice about taking too many spare parts for your, uh, for yeah. your motorcycle. Well, S- Sam, any, any talisman that you take? Uh, I have a, a tiny little silver elephant um, on my key ring, and that's the only thing. Uh, this elephant has been with me for a very, very long time, and it always goes everywhere with me. And yeah, just because I really like elephants, they're my favorite animals. They're, they're wise, they're courageous, um, they're strong. And yeah, I just like having a, a creature like that traveling with me. And they have far more trunk space than you do on your bike. No! Oh, See, that should have been Sam's. You know, I think I just took that from the book of yeah. Sam. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> How about you, Grant? Nope. Don't carry a thing. Um, no talismans, none of that kind of stuff. And the bike doesn't have a name for it either. Just never. It's it's the bike, period. Yeah. It's the bike. Same here. I've Same. never hardly ever named, had a vehicle with a name. It just doesn't work for me. No, it doesn't work for me at all either. No, it, it's... I mean, I love it, uh, but it's still an inanimate object. So, no, it doesn't get a name. Well, the bike is a name, I guess. <laughs> and it's yeah. also home. People say, where do you live? You point at the bike. Um, that's where we live. That's it. That's home. So. Well, I name all of my vehicles because if I have them long enough, then they become old friends and they all have individual characters. So, yeah, I name mine. Yeah, and I'm to attest to mine, too. I've got to name mine, too, Sam. Yeah. Well, if you name them, you can have a conversation, I guess, with them, and that's always important. So, <laughs> you haven't got a talisman to talk to. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Birgit has a rubber duck on her bike, which yeah. uh, has the same effects that um, Monkley does with Graham. People are always laughing at her rubber duck and making friends, and where did you get that from, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I think that uh, it's actually a good idea to do that, because as noted, it starts conversations. Mm. That's cool. Mm. I think it's a great yeah, idea. I never have. I was just going to say, yeah, though, with Graham, I think in his in his typical um, too much honesty, there <laughs> really was carrying his his monklet for his own um, comfort more than uh, break, as an icebreaker. Well, how it started as well was I used to make little. My daughter lived in America, and I used to make little storybooks with monklet having adventures, taking photographs of him, and send the, the physical book to her. Mm. And so, monklet was the connection between me and my daughter. And so it sort of had that sentimentality attached to it as well. So oh, that's um, neat. There, there was more to it than just a furry toy. Right. <laughs> nice. No, I like that. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, let's get into plugs here. We, we, we're, we've been going a long time here now. Let's, uh, uh, let's... Guys, I've, I've got to go and get my car, which is about an hour away, and they shut at five um, okay. to do our four-wheel drive trip. But, um, yeah, so when, you, when you're ready, I'll go first. Yeah, that's go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Um, just just one plug, and I think it's a very, very important thing, and this goes worldwide, and it's something that everyone who rides a motorcycle really should be engaged with, and that's the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, which is coming up uh, later in the year, hopefully, with uh, social distancing um, way behind us, with a bit of luck. But, you know, they raise money for men's health, men's research, prostate cancer, all those sorts of things which I think is very close to most motorcyclists' hearts. So I'm just going to plug the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. Thanks. Very nice. Good one. Nice idea. Grant, what have you got? Well, we've got the Achievable Dream video series is still streaming for free. Uh, I think we're about halfway through right now. Um, I'm not even sure what episode we're on, but there's still lots of them to go. So horizonsunlimited.com slash... Um, free hyphen dream 
So you can watch all the video series. We're doing one free episode a week. There's 15 altogether. And you can also just buy the whole series for half price right now. So check that out. If you wanted to learn a little bit more, I mean, we've mentioned it a couple of times, I think, during this episode even. There's so much information on there that it's, it's really, it's the Bible. Just looking at the one of them we've got here. Um, this DVD will save you a fortune is what uh, I think it was MCN in the UK wrote about the series. And uh, it still holds true. There's so much information in there. It's amazing. And it's, and it's timeless. It's carefully done to be timeless as opposed to, well, this is the latest bike you've got to have. Well, no, it's, it doesn't work like that. Mm, so that's a nice Check quote. that out. Have that's- a look. That's really nice. Yeah, I was very impressed with that. I like that one. Yeah, and and this is um just to be clear here. So this is the the whole series, and you're you're giving away you know sort of one a week free streaming. Mm-hmm. But anybody right. like they've you know we've missed a bunch of them already. But once you once you watch one of these, you sort of get an idea of what they're all about, and then you can go buy the set. Yep, we have a lot of people buying three, four, five DVDs, um, or I shouldn't say DVDs because they're streaming, but you just download them. So it's nice and easy. Although we do still have. A few physical DVDs left if somebody wants them. You know, people like it for Christmas presents. But um, yeah, there's so much information. I think it's 18 hours of information altogether. A staggering amount of information from 150 experienced travelers telling what they know. And there's different attitudes and ideas and opinions and lots to learn. All right. And Sam, what do you have? Well... I'm having a celebration this week um, and I'm celebrating something that I never thought I would have the opportunity to celebrate and that is that this is the 10th anniversary of my kidney transplant. Um, I have had 10 years of life that I should not have had. I would probably be dead by now if it wasn't for this amazing transplant. And you know, my donor saved um, seven or saved or made better seven lives um, and what a, what an amazing legacy that is. We're all going to turn our toes up at some time and hopefully um, later and not sooner. But to, to have signed up to be an organ donor and to do something like Save or Make Better Seven Lives is just fantastic. And I was watch, um, reading some, some comments um, the other day and somebody wrote this. Would you say yes to a donation if it could make you see again or be able to look after your family again? or ride your motorcycle, or stop being a burden on your family. And I thought, how perfectly put is that? He finished off his post with, then sign up. And I'm going to give um, Jim and Elizabeth um, um, just a half a dozen um, links for people to sign up if they keep meaning to, but haven't got round to it. In, the U- UK, in England now, um, Wales, we've got um, an opt-out system. Many other countries around the world. So you're automatically an organ donor unless you decide to write in and say, no, I don't want to be one. Um, but um, this gets around the whole issue of, oh, yeah, I keep meaning to do that. And so many people have said that to me. But yeah, I'm, I'm full on celebrating. I'm just amazed that I'm still here 10 years. So um, yeah, um, if you're up there, mate, thank you very, very much for letting me have one of your kidneys. Um, fantastic. You know, it, it's amazing to, to like, I mean, it's sort of tough to get your head around to think that we're sitting here talking to you that you you may not, likely wouldn't have been here without that, that organ. I mean, I just think, and that's probably, and I love that you're doing it because that you're talking about this right now, because it gets people thinking like when there's something tangible, you know what I mean? Like, because it, it hits me, you know, hearing your voice and knowing you and, and thinking how much that, that transplant meant. 
and what it really does. You're seeing the results. Yeah, and it's and it's not just me. Um, the hell that my family would have been going through. You talk to anybody who needs an organ donation um, and you look at the state of their families and the stress and the worry and the extra pressures. You look at the quality of the life of the person who's basically slowly dying. Um, and an organ donation um, could just change that, take away all of that stress and the worry and the hurt and the pain and just, um, yeah, just it's just such a fantastic thing to do. Mm. Those um, those links will be in the show notes and, and it's episode 53 if you have trouble finding it uh, on the website for Adventure Ride Radio Raw, episode 53 and those links will be in the show notes. That's a great one, Sam. Thank you for that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Graham, what do you have? Um, well, um, same link as, uh, same plug as, uh, as last month, really. Uh, the new book, Nirvana, has now gone to print. Um, the, uh, the story starts on the 24th of June, 2015. And I hope to have everybody who pre-ordered to have their book with them on that date so they can start it on the fifth anniversary of the beginning of the book. The e-book will also hopefully be launched on that day as well. And on the website, there's little combo packages with T-shirts and stickers that you can get. And uh, they're going very well, actually. Uh, it's a whole new logo, a whole new phrase. And uh, people seem to like it. So thank you for everybody who's pre-ordered. And um, by the time you're listening to this, it should be back from the printers and uh, ready to send out. And the book nice. is called? Nirvana. Give the, give the whole title. Oh, Nirvana. When you found your greener grass. It's nice. about relocation. Um, travel and relocation. Will you recognize what you're looking for when you find it? Nice. And it, it's Ooh. about you you ending up where you are now in Bulgaria. Yeah, it's, it's about that, among other topics. Yeah, yeah. And um, this book is, all your books are written from your diary, which gives you this um, incredible ability to get, give such detailed accounts of what's going on in your day-to-day life. So you've really got this really well documented, I know, because I just read it just last week. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same format as the other three books. It's diary format. And um, if you want to find it, again, if you go to the website, there's a bit more description, a little bit more of, of um, exactly what it's all about. And, and um, yes, it's, it's about it's about riding, it's a bit about relocating, it's about finding yourself in a completely different culture and, and a different country and making a home there. And uh, the, the simple things that you would not consider uh, and the challenges involved. And, and hopefully it's, it's humorous and uh, insightful. And I think also it's uh, it's something that's inspiring and achievable. It's not beyond everybody's ability, and particularly if you live in the in, in Europe. You there's about 24 other countries that you're um, you can legally live in. At least there was until last year. But <laughs> if you're British, but um, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's achievable. Instead of staying someplace you don't want to be and complaining about it go somewhere else and do something about it. So it's about having the courage to believe you can do that and, and making the most of it. You can cut all that out, Jim. That was crap. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, does this do you, what, what do you do? What does this do for you as an author? Does this make you any different now? You I mean, you've got four books out now. I don't know. Our Sam is equal. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's been there for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it's going to be, um, uh, hopefully it's going to bring a slightly wider audience, um, but without alienating, and this is the bit, I don't want to alienate my other readers, um, but it will hopefully have a wider appeal. 
Um, but of course, we won't know that until it comes out. It's a, this is a nerve-wracking moment, actually. There are many different feelings as you go through the book. There is that euphoric moment when you write the last sentence in your Word document. That nothing beats that. It's fantastic. Then there's the all, when all the proofreading, the copy editing, the graphics are done, it goes to print. That's another momentous moment. The next one will be when the books, the physical books, arrive and I have them in my hand. But then it doesn't end there because then there's how will it be received? And this is what, after we did our interview last uh, week, Jim, then it was quite daunting. It's like, shit, I've really exposed myself here. These are, <laughs> this is my soul exposed. This is my diary. And you, and then now I'm getting nervous. It's like, oh, God, you know. What do you mean it made you nervous because we talked about it? You, you mean like because you're starting to realize, oh, yeah, that's all in there? Yeah, that's all in there. Yeah. And, um what repercussions will it have? So we'll see. You know, you, that's something that you can't possibly foresee or calculate or control unless you pay for a bunch of fake reviews. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, Graham, if it's anything like the quality of your first three books, it's going to be a gem. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Well, you know, you're so immersed in it at the time. You're so close to it. You can't possibly you know see it and and now and now we'll just have to wait exciting times i guess that's it then isn't it we're, we're done oh. just over two hours in i mean I, I feel like we just got going you know it's funny because you know i was feeling a little bit tired earlier but i always find that once we get in and we start talking i have so much fun doing this that um it just it perks me right up and then by the time i'm done and i walk away from our recording uh, i'm not ready to go to bed even though it's late here yeah it takes a while to wind down doesn't it yeah yeah it does yeah. Yeah, nine o'clock. I'm all set, all set for bed, and I was—I could hardly keep my eyes open. Oh yeah, bed. Oh shit, I got it raw. Oh dear, and now I'm wide awake. Now we'll be for another hour. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the only time in the month I drink coffee in the morning, so I've had to, <laughs> to try and reduce the coffee intake because I'm shaking with it. You're normally into the whiskey first thing in the morning. You mean? No, I'm not really a coffee drinker, so I have very low tolerance to it. So when I do drink it for raw, <laughs> and also I've got to go dig a hole and have a dump now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you, you have fun with your sewage system. Thank you very much, everyone. That was a great show. Thank yeah. you. Sounds Thank like you. fun. Thanks. Bye. See y'all. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys. Uh, he also has uh, t-shirts and other things that he sells at his website at grahamfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. 